Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Hello, everyone. How you doing? Good. My name's Steph. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'll be speaking to you uh, from the book of Daniel this morning. So if you've got a Bible with you, um, please turn to Daniel chapter 1. The words will come up in just a moment. But I want to give a bit of intro first, a very short one, um, just so you understand what's going on in this uh, story. Um, many of you will be familiar, whether you're a believer, a Christian believer or not, um, you'll be familiar with the story of the Exodus, um, popularized in the film Prince of Egypt. Uh, <laughs> A bit worrying how you all cheered at that, but not at the story of the Exodus, which is actually the true thing. But anyway, there we go. Um, where, where God, through Moses, leads the people of Israel out of Egypt after about 400, uh, approximately 400 years, and then 40 years in the wilderness, and then takes them into the land of Canaan, um, modern-day Israel and Palestine, takes them in as the promise, their promised land, and promises them rest, and promises them an abundant life. Uh, in him, but with conditions and with warnings, and particularly saying, Look, I'm covenanting with you to be your God, you're covenanting with me to be my people. Um, this is how I want you to live. And um, one of the reasons I'm bringing you into this land is because the land itself is spewing out the people that were living here before because of the detestable things that they did. I don't want you to live like them, I want you to live in a holy life following me. Um, they didn't do that, they repeatedly um, turned to other gods and turned to other um, ways of living that were completely unrighteous, unjust, oppressive, uh, impure. And in the end, um, God says, right, I'm gonna, now, now, now you're going to get spewed out of the land. And uh, by this point, um, the people of Israel separated into, into two halves, really the northern ten tribes and two tribes in the south. And in the 700s uh, BC, the Assyrians come and they over, overwhelm the northern tribes. And, um, and they get kicked out of the land. And then in 586 BC, the Babylonians come and to the southern tribes where you'll find places like Jerusalem and the temple and all of that, the city of David, and they raise it to the ground um, and, they, and they exile people. And Daniel's part of a group of exiles that are taken out of Israel into Babylon. Um, and, and he's particularly part of a, of, of a group of exiles that were, that were nobles. So they, they were kind of the more well-to-do kind of people and they're, and they're brought in and already uh, educated, um, upper class, and they are prepared uh, to, be, to be brought before the king and serve before the king. That's the whole idea. That is uh, the whole plan. We've looked at how they've um, settled in. We've looked at uh, the stand last week that Daniel took to be holy, to maintain his sense of uh, being part of God's people, not being completely assimilated, and we learned about that. And today we're going to just look at a few verses um, chapter 1, verses 17 to the end of the chapter, 17 to 21. Let's read, um, let's read it out loud together, shall we? As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Father, thank you for uh, your word. We pray today that you would help me to deliver it in a way that honors you, in a way that points to you, uh, in a way that's filled with your spirit. We pray, Lord, for dear brothers and sisters, guests among us. We pray you would help them to hear what you want them to hear. I pray for open and receptive hearts. We pray for the work of the spirit to do incredible and wonderful things that we might not even be able to imagine through this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're probably more familiar with the concept of monarchy as a nation than we ever have been. Am I right? It's been fascinating um, to watch various things. Different ones of us would have dipped in and out of different things. Some of us have gone and queued for hours and hours. Uh, others, others of us would never have dreamed of doing that. Um, that's okay. Um, but there's been, there's been an enormous amount of coverage around uh, the monarchy and really interesting things, things that you go, wow, I, ne- I never knew that. I never realized that. I didn't know that's how it worked. We've been exposed to uh, quite uh, breathtaking pageantry at times, elaborate ceremonies and rituals. Here's something I didn't realize, which, is, which I've found a biblical uh, parallel for. From the moment Queen Elizabeth passed, Charles was king. Then there was a moment where he was proclaimed and declared king. Did any of you see that? Really interesting, solemn thing that that, that happened um, in the centre of London there. But then it's going to be many months until his coronation, where he is anointed, if you like, and enthroned. Um, Jesus was always the son of God from eternity. The Bible says that at his resurrection, he was declared the Son of God with power. And in Hebrews 1, it's talking about his ascension. It talks about him being given a new name, the name of Son, as, he, as he's coronated and ascends to the throne. You go, wow. And I wonder if actually a lot of, our, a lot of these practices are built in ancient times on biblical ideas. Because obviously the, 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 the epicenter of monarchy is the king of glory. And whatever your views on these things, wherever you land politically, wherever, wherever you're sitting there thinking all this stuff's a waste of money for the, that could be used on public good, or whether you're looking on going, wow, this really anchors us historically, socially, and, and keep, binds us together, or anything uh, in between. For those of us here that know and love the Lord, our priority is to see beyond it to something transcendent. This is just a reflection of a transcendent and eternal reality. We have a theocratic monarchy, which means God who is king. And that's an eternal truth. And so what these things do give us a sense of is awe and wonder and anything but casual, casualness. There's, there's something you go, wow. And it helped, I don't know about you, but I think it should help all of us consider this whole idea of what it means to stand before the king. We had a king yesterday who, who moved towards his people in the queue, who made himself very uh, available and very accessible. 
And yet there'll also be times with, for those who receive uh, awards and other things and knighthoods where they will, you know, in a, in, in a very different setting, stand before the king. And, and I'm sure for many, the moment itself will create a sense of trembling in some way. Here in today's passage, you realize that what's been going on, there's been a three-year preparation in order for them to stand before the king. That's, like, that, that's, that's the, the climax of all that's been going on with these young Hebrew youths. It's three years of intense learning and intense development and intense preparation in order that they might be able to stand before the king. In the book of Esther, we find that Esther goes through 12 months of beautification. That's more than a spa day right there. 12 months of beautification before she is presented to the king. These are, these are themes and ideas that actually it's really helpful for us to become familiar with because it helps us relate well to God. We live in a very egalitarian society. We, don't, we, don't, we tend to associate anything hierarchical with any, something negative. But there is, an essential, there is an essential hierarchy. God, lead me to the rock that is higher than I said David. He is transcendent. He is above us. And, and a friend of mine who was going through a really hard time a few years ago, really tough, very, very testing in conversation with them. How are you, how are you getting through this? They, they said to me, I, I was taught years ago in Bible college as foundational, God is other. That's what's getting us through. It wasn't even God is good. It wasn't even God is love. God is other. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And there are moments where you're not feeling anything, but that whole, he is other, gets through. So it's really, it's really, this is a really helpful moment for us believers in this nation to see something and help us to meditate and reflect upon the extraordinary privilege of being able to stand before the king. It's good for us. It's good for us. They stand before the king, and it goes really well. They're presented before the king, and it goes really, really well. I want to look at this in two ways, and then we're going to do a final bit of application at the end. Firstly, I just want to think about, just together, maybe stuff that we don't talk about, don't talk about enough, which is just this whole idea of, um, I want you to put aside for, for one moment uh, things um, that are obviously explicitly spiritual Daniel and his friends have been placed here and they've been, they've been taught things and now they're before the king. And why do they do well? They do well. Well, we're told why they do well because of their wisdom and their learning. But we also know there's something else going on. They've honored God and God is honoring them. The Bible teaches that. God says, I will honor those who honor me. I think it's Psalm something. Either 50 or 91, I think. There's an honour in that God, as we honour God, God honours God honors us. It's not, it's not slot machine. God's ways are higher than our ways. He's still higher. It's a relationship. But God says, no, I will honour you and you honour me. So there's an honour in of God. But there's also there's something about the fact that these, these guys, they've studied. They've listened. They've applied themselves. They've been diligent. And as a result, it goes well. I was uh, uh, reading Proverbs earlier today. And I love this uh, it's very relevant 
Proverbs 22 verse 9 says this. It says, no, it's not 22 verse 9. Sorry, my bad. 22 verse 29 says this. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. I'll read that again. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. We're told at the end of this uh, uh, chapter that Daniel served until the reign of Cyrus. That's about just under 50 years. He did the same job pretty much for just under 50 years. That's quite a rarity these days. So here he is, he's really forced into the position, gives himself to it, honours God, and then God honours him and establishes him, and he's able to serve God faithfully over decades in this most extraordinary position before the king. Now you've got to understand, again, understanding, to serve before the king, it would be very different from serving before our king. These kings had the power of life and death. All right, They had genuine authority. Our king is a symbolic head of state. There's no real authority vested. We're a democracy. We work by by parliament in terms of true authority. But it's a symbolic thing. Not so back then. The king, you'll find when we look at it in a couple of weeks of story, the king has power of life and death. So when it goes well, it's great. When it doesn't go well, it's it's time, time to really start looking over your shoulder. Not only that, but in many of the ancient kingdoms, the, the king was considered to be a god. We know that for sure in Egypt, there's debate over whether that was the case in Babylonia. But we know, again, fast forward a few chapters, when, when the king sets up a gold image of himself, you know, he probably, at least in his own heart, thinks he is. wants everyone to bow down. So again, we just got to get our thinking different and realize, well, this is talking about something really, really very different from anything that we are used to. And yet these men, they stand before the king and they do well and establish and are able to do so for decades upon decades. To get really good at something, hear this, to get really good at something and to be really faithful in it is to be highly commended. What do you do? We must make sure that we don't in churches like ours, we love mission and church planting. Yes, we do. But you must make sure we don't accidentally give the message that if you're not church planting, somehow you're doing something secondary or less spiritual. That is completely untrue. Or if you're not a pastor, it's completely untrue. God gives all of us different vocations, gifts us differently and, and sets us in different places with good works prepared for us in advance to do in all manner of our workplaces. To get really good at something and to be faithful in it is seriously important in the eyes of God. To have an understanding of our work, of our job, whereby everything, even when, I mean, this was a very unideal situation. We'll look at it a bit later. It's surrounded by magicians, enchanters, just basically false gods, occult behavior. It's not the sort of thing you choose, okay? But God's put in there, he, he understands that God is greater than all of that, and he gives himself to what he's been asked to do, but in a godly way, and God establishes him in the midst of that. Wouldn't it be amazing if we, over the years, were a church who gave ourselves to our places of work with faith, with a sense of, I'm here until I'm not here. I'm not in a holding bay. I'm not waiting for the next. I'm here with my whole heart until, until God opens a door, until something else. And I'm going to get really good at it and be really godly and faithful in it. What a vision that is for your workplace. That changes the way you get out of bed in the morning or night. <laughs> 
It changes the way you do things. You develop a vision for where you are. To serve. A vision to serve. That's a beautiful thing and a powerful thing. And to get as good as you can at what you do, not so that you can feel better about yourself, but so that you can bring glory to God. There are all kinds of great side effects and you know, other things like you know, it's satisfying to do a job well, of course. Hallelujah, it brings us great joy. But ultimately, it's so that we might be able to draw on his power to do it and glorify him in it. It's beautiful. This is what you see here. And I want to encourage us to really make sure that we're not being influenced by any other thinking, which is, oh, just, you know, just sort of get through, you know, getting through. This is not an ideal situation, but look what God did with it. You might find yourself somebody think, I wouldn't have chosen this. What might God do, though? What might God do? Who knows? And I'd love to pray for any of you that you just know I need extra strength for the workplace right now. I'd love to pray for you at the end. But there's another thing I want to draw out about this whole thing of being able to stand before the king. Uh, and it's this. It's that in order for these guys to be able to stand before this king, first they had to be only think about the gospel now. They had to be transferred from one kingdom to another. From the kingdom of Israel to the kingdom of Babylon. The Bible teaches that, that anyone who was saved has been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son. You can't stand before, you have, to, you have to become part of the kingdom, you see? You've got that. And then I want us to think about Jesus for a moment, because this points towards our great saviour, this whole story of Daniel. Daniel's a wonderful type of Christ. We know that Jesus himself, years of preparation, years and years of preparation. Undramatic, really, very undramatic. Luke says he grew in wisdom, he grew in stature, he grew in favour with God. He grew in favor with other people. That's what we know about Jesus from 12 to 30. The most influential man to have ever lived. There's 18 years of his life. He only lived about 33. Over half, he grew. Didn't stagnate. Didn't plateau. Didn't go around in circles. He grew. He developed. He matured. He allowed himself to be prepared for the really dramatic stuff that happened for three years. You never know when God's going to suddenly say, okay, season, season change, season time. New season now. The best way to prepare for a new season is to give yourself to wherever you find yourself. There can be a mentality I've, I've found in people of late whereby they're always looking for the next thing. And then they're woefully prepared when it comes along. Why? Because they spend their whole time before looking for the next thing rather than learning how to do well where they were. Jesus just sat under the Father's guiding hand. Obviously, he spent a lot of the time reading scriptures. Because we know, we know that when he's in the wilderness being attacked by the enemy, he's, he's got them to hand. They're hidden in his heart. He was being prepared for a specific role. But it's very obscure, very hidden. There's hidden seasons. But look at Jesus. He understands, you see. And then we're told in the Bible that Jesus goes as a forerunner on our behalf into the presence of the Father. So the reason why you and me can stand in front of the king, please don't get, get the wrong impression. If you're a guest here, you would have walked into people singing and you would, have, you would have thought to yourself, they seem very comfortable singing to their God. 
Let me assure you, we are not comfortable because we, th- because we think we've been good people. Okay? We're not comfortable because oh, we prayed a bit last week. Or we helped our neighbour out. We are comfortable for one reason and one reason alone. The only man, the only truly righteous man to have ever lived, the only man who through his own merits could stand in the presence of God has gone in on our behalf. Okay, And he's in there on our behalf. And, and through us being clothed in him, through faith in him. And his righteousness covers us. Covers us like a, like a cloak, like a, like a protective. His, righteousness cover, his perfect righteousness covers us. We can come confidently into the presence of God. Because we believe in Jesus. And that changes everything. You'll find religions all around the world of people try busting a gut. Years long pilgrimages. Weighing up, have I done, does my good outweigh my bad? All of these things, chanting for hours and hours. You will find across the world people who are serious spiritually, people who want to get it right, people who, who know there's something bigger going on, busting a gut to try to feel some sense of assurance that they've done enough, and yet there's always this niggle. Why? Because we know we're not perfect. That is not the Christian experience. The Christian experience that we look to Jesus, who is perfectly righteous. And know that through, through his work on the cross, he has made a way for us to come in and be reconciled to God based entirely on all that he has done. That is utterly unique and magnificent. And why? By putting your trust in Christ, you can be made right with God in an instant. You can live a terrible life, be sitting this day, put your faith in Christ, leave this place as a son or daughter of God. I mean, that, it's outrageous. Some of you should be a bit more shocked or offended or, or something. That is outrageous when we think of the holiness of the king. Utterly pure. Hates sin. Hates the stuff that goes on in our hearts. Made away through the gift of his son. It's magnificent. It's magnificent. We love Jesus, don't we? I want to focus in on something that might appear slightly marginal, but I felt the Holy Spirit say, zone in on this for the final kind of um, application. And it's where we are told, um, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. These ancient kingly courts would have been surrounded by advisors and and counsellors and um, sages and pretty much all of them would have been into occult would have been into some kind of divination, some kind of dark arts. It was just the norm. And yet Daniel comes in very humbly, very normally, but actually through his relationship with the living God, is ten times better. It's almost effortless, really. Because he's, he's operating from a source that is totally unique. These spiritual powers behind divination and occult and the rest are real, but they're all part of the created fallen order. When you're walking with God, you are, you are walking in, in relationship with one who is beyond the created order. He's the creator of all things. So it's totally transcendent. And as I was preparing, I felt a distinct nudge from the Holy Spirit that the Lord wants to bring some fresh freedom and um, reassurance to numbers of people here today who are, who are in some way or another either under the wisdom or the power of dark things. 
And let me give some examples of what I mean. And some of these may surprise you. Um, false religions. Some of you have been exposed to kind of false religions. Um, this might sound a little bit arrogant, but the quickest way I can describe it is anything other than the faith. <laughs> um, with teachings and doctrines that still hang over you and, and hold you back in your relationship with Jesus. Things spoken either really persuasively or really charismatically or really something, but it's got into you. And you know this is a hindrance in your relationship with Jesus. Um, things like superstitions. Superstition is um, rooted in fear. It's the, things like Sod's Law. Sod's Law is kind of, I think the idea of Sod's Law is like, oh yeah, some, you know, oh typical. Yeah, well something good happened, something bad had to happen. That's a godless ideology. Like that, and it's rooted in fear and, and negativity. Um, fingers crossed. Touch wood. More and more believers do that. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? It's totally godless. Even luck, lady luck. The, these things aren't, they're not what we're about. Because we believe in a God who is hands-on involved in every part of our lives. Do we? Don't we? A God, the Bible says, who causes, all, who causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. A God who is not a God who's reacting to laws that are higher than him. Oh, karma, quick, what are we going to do? We don't believe in it. And if you start believing in it, you get, you, what happens is, is you, that some degree of enslavement happens. That's the point. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. All of these things lead to different degrees of enslavement and fear and looking over your shoulder. Silly stuff. Silly stuff. Walking over three manholes, walking under ladders. Silly stuff. But I tell you what, all, all of that stuff is silly stuff, but, but there are real dark powers behind it that can use it to bring people into slavery. And as believers, we don't have to live under that. Amen? We do not have to live under that. Jinxes, hexes, um, karma, occult involvement. There is something as a believer, there's such liberty as a believer to just say, do you know what, I'm going to walk out of that. It's part of the old. It's holding me back. It's rooted in fear. And it gives really no glory at all to God. God wants to endow you with liberty and wisdom that is 10 times, 10 times more uh, penetrating, impacting, powerful than that stuff. And it's funny the things that can go on in the human mind and the human heart. It's funny the things that can go on and we can find ourselves stuck in little habits. But what's it rooted in? It's rooted in fear. So I'll just do that. But why are you doing that? Well, because if I don't do that, then really? And part, part of the liberty that the Lord has bought for us is that we walk out of stuff that, that, that we just picked up. Maybe in our home growing up, maybe particularly if our family weren't believers, but maybe even if they were. It's weird stuff. You think, what is that? 
or stuff that's just attached to you through negative experiences of life. Okay? A bit of fear got in or a bit of this got in. And you kind of do certain things now. And you know that's not coming out of faith. That's a kind of a, it's a bit of a superstition. It's a bit of a thing I do. Because if I don't then, and it's like, who's in charge? Is he really in charge? I just feel the Lord wants to bring some freedom from that today. Because Jesus has bought you, the, he's bought you it. Okay, so you haven't got, what have we got to do? Jesus has bought you it. Okay, bought you on the cross. He didn't just deal with all of your sins. He dealt with all of the, all of the powers of darkness that are, that are wanting to kind of mess our lives up. Hallelujah. Isn't it great? Do you believe this? Yes. I hope so. <laughs> it's kind of contingent on being a believer that you actually believe this stuff. Uh, otherwise, things really grind to a halt. Um, so it's not about what have I got to do? He's done it. But it's about saying, Jesus, I'm actually going to start believing you. And we're going to get really concrete and really specific about this. We're going to move away from vagaries. So we're going to get really concrete about this and say, Lord, I want, to, I want now to just let that fear thing, way of thinking, drop. I'm not going to engage with it anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to specifically renounce it. So there's a moment where you go, I'm renouncing that. It's really important because you've got authority. And when you say, I'm no longer living under that, okay, the dark powers behind that have to listen. Okay? And then you say, now, Lord, I want you to renew my mind so I can think, about, think in ways that are truthful and that are going to help me to walk in liberty and freedom. Amen?